time to say Hello and uh, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. I think this is going to be our most timely show. It is actually Tuesday morning and hopefully we can have this out on Tuesday. We have a great guest this week. His name is Nikhil Saval. Uh, you might have heard of him as the editor of M Plus One, but now he has a much more exciting role. I think that we can almost say that it's <laughs> happened because votes are still coming in, but it looks very good for him. He has won a state, uh, seat in the state Senate of Pennsylvania. So we're going to talk to him about a lot, including making a transition from being, you know, like a sort of Marxist guy in the media to becoming somebody who works, uh, you know, he is now a government worker. So we're very excited about that. But today, uh, before that, I wanted to talk to my two co-hosts, Tammy and Andy. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? Good. Good, good. This is our first like early AM. I guess it's not I guess it's not that early for you guys, but here it's like seven thirty in the morning. I just woke I will up. Say, I did wake up just now though. You woke up at ten thirty? <laughs> you have like a child. How is that possible? We're all we're all messed up right now. We all woke up like an hour ago. She just oh, went to, really? she just went to daycare. Oh wow, wow. Oh wow. she she went back to daycare now? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. good. I think it's, you know, it's good. We'll, you know, we'll see. You got rid of her. <laughs> Wait, and on the East Coast, are daycares still open? I know. They I'm just surprised. opened. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We opened, I, we officially opened yesterday um, for childcare right. here in the Bay Area. But um, Oh, you guys did too? Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Like it's, uh, it's probably that for people who have kids, it's much more important than anything else. I mean, exactly. if they, if they open schools, it's the... I think that people's pressure, like a lot of pressure would be taken off of it. And it's the only thing that really matters. The other stuff matters for people, businesses and stuff like that. But schools is like for mental sanity for both exactly. the kids and the adults. <laughs> for sure. I don't know how you guys have survived this long. My friends in New York are freaking yeah. out. Like, I think they're losing their shit about know. to like throw their kids out of the house. It's <laughs> the one that- Go ahead, Eddie. It's been, it's been intense. I think, uh, Chuck Klosterman on another podcast was like, I never felt closer to my kids, and these are the worst two months of my life. (laughs) (laughs) It is weird. I think that for a lot of people, it will redefine family in a way that might be good and might be bad because it increases the tolerance that one has for being around one's family. And, you know, like it will allow for you to be closer for longer. And then it also allows you to just be like, I really rethink like i don't know if this is the right structure you know i don't know if we should be around each other <laughs> i wonder if um i was thinking i wonder if adhd drug sales have gone up yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like mean, parents are just gonna drug their children yeah or or um or or the opposite where parents are like i'm gonna go sit on the porch and uh i'm gonna nod <laughs> up don't wake mommy up um <laughs> All right, so we have uh, we have a couple things we wanted to talk about today. The first is something that I saw this morning, and Tammy, you and Andy are both from the Pacific Northwest, right? Both from mm-hmm. the Puget Sound area, to be exact. You both know Seattle very well, and I think that we what p- we can confidently say right now is that it seems like the center of police violence for the last few nights has been in the Pacific Northwest because New York, Philadelphia yeah. have both de-escalated, and so you see these scenes in seattle you see these scenes in portland in portland it's uh especially interesting because the police chief resigned yesterday because of all of this yeah, uh in wow. seattle there That's are right. a lot of calls for mayor jenny durkin who i don't know that much about but the little i know about i really dislike it. um 
to <laughs> to resign. But you know what they're trying to do. It seems like in Seattle is that some people have set up a what they call a Capitol Hill free zone, autonomous so, zone. Yes, autonomous zone. So like I don't know, Tammy. Like you and Andy know more about Seattle than I do. Like what what can you describe Capitol Hill? Like what is it? Sure. Yeah, it was just there a few months ago. So Capitol Hill is a historically gay, very raucous part of Seattle, not too far from downtown, about a mile away. And it has in the last, especially I would say 10 to 15 years, become incredibly gentrified. And that isn't even really the right word anymore. It's just a wealthy area of town that a lot of young people live in. There are luxury apartments and, you know, it's walking distance to the Amazon headquarters and to other corporate headquarters. So it's very popular. When I first saw these images, I thought immediately of the anarchist area of, of Athens in Greece, Exarchia, Free Zone, which is used to be called Exarchia Autonomous Zone or Free yeah. Zone. It's been an anarchist space for many years covered in graffiti and stuff. And so this felt kind of like, oh, old Seattle. <laughs> um, I was pretty happy to see it. I don't, I have to say, I don't really know much about it. I'm kind of waiting to hear from folks who live there. Yeah. It was my. I have a lot of friends my age who lived there the last ten years, and they explained to me mm, that this mm-hmm. is the this is like a terrible analogy that is always overused, but it's the Brooklyn of Seattle, right? It's like for the the young twenty <laughs> something artists, you live you go there after you finish college. There's like coffee shops on every block, but then they had also complained like Tammy that it would become very gentrified. The main thing is there's this park called Cal Anderson Park, that is like really great green space, and I think that's yeah. probably looking at the map that on the tweet you sent out, that's probably helping to facilitate this, right? Like it's not businesses. I mean, there are business buildings and residential buildings, but there's also this giant green space um, in the yeah. in, in the heart of the neighborhood. There's also like, uh, it's also like kind of a dense area for Capitol Hill. Like right. that's where Elliott Bay bookstore is. I'm, I, you know, I was feigning ignorance. I lived in Capitol Hill when I was 19 years old in 1999. <laughs> and it was uh, on oh, 15th yeah. and huh. on on Fifteenth and John, so a little bit down the street oh, you're from right this. There. Yeah, and, wow. uh, it was very different back then, but it was starting. Mm-hmm. You know, you could feel the sure. like somebody like me who was nineteen years old and had dropped out of college. That's where where I would someone like that would end up. So, you know? what, what year right. was that when you were there? Nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. So I was a uh, tree planter in the huh. park. Really? In the, yeah. In the I do park not know about this part so of your life. This park. is amazing. All of us were in Seattle in 99. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the park service. <laughs> and um, so I, and I was 19 years old or 20 years old. And I, <laughs> My uh, God. and I was mostly, I would go out to like Medina and Issaquah wow. and uh, I would plant trees in these the areas, rich areas that had been uh, Medi- clear cut. Medina is where Bill Gates Bill Gates lives, yeah. And, and Ichiro. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if he still lives there. Oh, Ichiro lives <laughs> Ichiro? in Medina. He definitely did live there Famously. for a while. Yeah. It was like Ichiro and Gates were the two people who lived there. <laughs> um, I I will say that um, having seen the change since 1999 to now, where you know my sister lives or had an apartment for a while in Capitol Hill, and so we would, I would go visit her a lot, and I would see the change oh, okay. in the city. And the entire area got a facelift, and now it's just luxury condos for Amazon workers, and it's a lot of, you yeah. know, like, expensive, small, kind of cutesy restaurants with uh, mid-century modern stools and, like, you know, like a fucking <laughs> chalkboard, and, like, they serve six items because they're all kind of the shitty version of restaurants. They're, like, two distillations down from restaurants I don't even like in Brooklyn, you know, where I'm like, this that restaurant sucks in Brooklyn. <laughs> you're, making, you're making this shitty Pacific Northwest version 
which means they like put like salmon in everything you know like that's like basically <laughs> it's like a, that that's the that's the um i don't know this seems very exciting like i i don't think that uh and this is what i want to talk to you guys about because i was so excited about it like I don't think this idea of I don't think we can fight the cops forever. I don't think people can get in, can mm-hmm. can provoke the cops into fighting forever. You know. So mm-hmm. is occup- Do you guys do you think occupation is the next the next move here? I definitely was thinking about this just because over the weekend too, I've been seeing more stable places in Brooklyn, like little stations that reminded me of Occupy Wall Street. So I've been thinking about place and how much we kind of need place and consistent you know spaces to gather. So. That part of it seems exciting to me. I mean, I will say Capitol Hill, even though it has all of that stuff, we don't, the gunk of Amazon on it, it's also still been a space where the Seattle DSA meets and where like really awesome homeless and other sorts of activism have been going on. So yeah, I I agree with you, Jay. I think like as we figure out like our proliferating forms of organizing at this point, like one of those has to be spatial just so we have a place to return to. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean... We had talked about this uh, in another in another um, moment that it did seem like a few days ago that well last week at some point last week all these spectacular violent moments that were on Twitter in places like New York City and Philadelphia had kind of gone away right and things had become much more conciliatory in those cities and we were sort of like thinking well does this mean the protests are over once the police stop beating people right. Um, and I guess one thing I was thinking was like one thing protesters could do if they're not, if they're not going to let's say bait violence because that's obviously not a a winning strategy they could at least overwhelm the police by just continuing to show up right and just having yeah. more people than the police. Uh, so, but in that sense, you're almost are still kind of challenging the police. You're just kind of you're not going to bait them into violence, but you're just going to show up every day and kind of force them to work these long hours and 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 to police the city and kind of you know push the system to its limits. Now that's that that type of strategy though would be kind of still kind of confrontational. With this zone though, are you guys saying that is the point of these zones to be confrontational, or is it to sort of create, as they say, an aut- autonomous area where they get away from the state, where they get away from the police? Because those I think are perhaps a distinction that I'm curi- right. I'm curious. I what, think it what can be. Are. I think that can be both, right? Like I think that that anytime you say. You no longer have jurisdiction in this really expensive mm-hmm. commercial area. Like that area, <laughs> that stretch, right? Like uh, that they took over is where the most, one of the most famous bookstores in America is, Elliott Bay Bookstore. It's where you have a lot of luxury clothing stores right next to it. Have you been there, Tammy? Mm-hmm. There's like yeah. all sorts, like there's like, you can buy like a $400 t shirt in Seattle, which blows my fucking mind totally like, that's a deal <laughs> it's like yeah but like who buys that shit you know for what so you can cover it up with like a fucking raincoat and <laughs> who needs to like there's no way to like be that flashy and see it. but that's that's where all that stuff is right now i think right yeah. like that's where all that's it's in that corridor and so to occupy it i think is confrontational you know and to say we are trying to make a new society here, you know, is 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 confrontational, and yet it is also, I think, a message out to people who are really fed up that you know this can be, we can build something out of this, and will the police overrun it? I don't know. They have been very unsuccessful at overrunning it now, and they somehow have, you know, I don't know what the like, I don't know what the protesters should do about this. But did you guys see that they like? abandoned the <laughs> police station <laughs> they abandoned the police station there 
and they left the doors unlocked basically. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was like, that is pretty confrontational. This is the Seattle version of the Minneapolis police bombing. <laughs> yes. I didn't see that now. Huh. Yeah, they left the doors unlocked, apparently. I don't know if that's true. Please don't fact check me. Was that like, uh, uh... <laughs> before or after the police um, went back on their tear gas ban? That was yesterday. They they left. They abandoned okay. it um, yesterday, apparently. And um, yeah. they, they, they decided that they couldn't hold it anymore. And that's when this free zone thing opened up was when they retreated. Um, I don't know. I, I, I do think that something like Standing Rock you know, could really be powerful. And what young person right now, because they don't have school, you Mm -hmm. know, because Mm -hmm. they don't have uh, anything to do because they've been locked up in their houses for two months. Like who, who wouldn't go to that thing? Yeah. Like would 19 year old Andy Lou have, or or 17 year old (laughs) Andy Lou have gone down there to to live and try, try out a new existence. Maybe Andy was at the WTO protest, so he's only gotten you know more calm over the years. <laughs> um. <laughs> Too old for that shit, Andy. <laughs> what about? No, I do think. What about? I do think. Seventeen-year-old Tammy Kim from. Seventeen-year-old uh, Tammy Kim was too busy studying for the SAT, oh, but no. you know she has more sense about her now. <laughs> I do think, like, also in in Seattle, the spectacle of this is is mirroring, like, is a is a challenge to the police in the sense that, like, one of the main points of confrontation over the past ten years has been the homeless encampments. Yeah, and basically here they're staging like a protest version of that and saying to the police, like, you try to do what you've been doing to homeless people in their homes in these tent communities. You know, so I think we'll kind of oh, yeah. see how this, you know, pans out. Like, there's definitely a kind of mirror strategy here. Yeah, there's just there's something interesting about why is Seattle the place where this is happening the most at this point? Um, oh, I, I, I guess we'd have to that out either. Right, we'd have to like perhaps <laughs> talk to people there. My guess is yeah. like it's not just quote unquote just a BLM thing. It's also like you're saying a sort of built oh, up for frustration sure. for 20 years of gentrification. Yeah. Can I give my yeah. guess? Yeah. Totally unqualified. I think it's, I do think it's Standing Rock vets, you know? Like, I think it's people who were at Standing Rock, mm. um, indigenous people who are at Standing Rock, who obviously there's many of in the Seattle area. Um, I think it's a lot of the old WTO dudes who are, and ladies mm-hmm. who are there. And I think it's a very hardcore Black Lives Matter. Although I don't think they would use that term, you know? Like, I don't think they would use that, qual- classify them inside of that. But like a black leftist organizing group mm-hmm. and mm. i think that's probably it yeah and that's a that's yeah. a lot of experienced people who are that involved is. in radical politics but tammy I, th- I think what you said is right like and I, you know it had never it hadn't crossed my mind at least it's just like of course you know of course this is an out, out outcropping of of the fights against homeless encampments you know mm-hmm. which are mm-hmm. that has been the main political fight in seattle for the last three years at least right like yeah, um, I was, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, also there, I, I do want to recognize like the strong socialist organizing and the DSA there and stuff like there are these really amazing energetic spots, you know, amid all of the, the sort of capital, I guess, like the, the Marxist in us would talk about Seattle also being a place where like the contradictions of this moment in capitalism are just so obvious, like it's not even 
mm-hmm. good enough to put in fiction. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like <laughs> yeah. every single block is so is just a walking cliche of this kind of analysis. So yeah. nobody isn't thinking about this there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Seattle. Seattle's such an anarchist more than uh, you know socialist. Well, I guess not socialist. I don't know if that's clear. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's definitely a lot of anarchists there, but there's a, and there's a socialist strain. I think there's. I don't know that in this moment that stuff mat those divisions sure. are mattering sure. as much. Maybe you know, there's kind of a collapse. In. I think me, what we it, can say is that there's of the types of dudes who wear jean, sh- long black jean <laughs> shorts and black hoodies and have a lot of facial <laughs> hair and hang out at the same bar, you know, and whatever they would call themselves. There's a lot of that in Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the division <laughs> to put themselves on, they're all in Seattle. Um, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, well, <laughs> hopefully, I would like to go there. And um, I, it's hard to travel right now. But, man, it, that was, of all the things that I've seen, you know, it's one of the more inspiring things just because I'm sure you, you guys have seen the footage from what the Seattle Police Department mm-hmm. is doing to these Horrible. people. I mean, mm-hmm. it is disgusting. Yeah. They almost killed Looks somebody like two nights ago. And then they're yeah. firing. Look, it's you cannot take activist words for everything, right? Sure. But it does seem like they were at least harassing the medics there when the medics were trying to do their job. And that is the sort of stuff that is a war crime in times of war. Um, right. And. Yeah. And tear gas too, right? Yeah, That's banned during yeah. war. And just the stuff that we can see for our own eyes. Forget yeah. what activists are saying mm-hmm. is is unbelievable. Like I can't believe that that's happening in Seattle. And Durkin said, "What? I'll ban tear gas for mm-hmm. thirty days, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <what the> <laughs> but not forever, even right. though it's a war crime." Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh so strange. God. I don't. Why? Okay, if you're Durkin, why, this is the last we'll say about this. If you're Durkin, like, <laughs> why not? Why not just resign? You know, I guess you. What future do you have there? Your entire well, city then, council is calling on you to resign. If you have no future, why would you resign? Why wouldn't you just hold on to power as long as possible? Because I don't know. Do you? Because it probably sucks to get screamed <laughs> at every. All these progressive mayors like Dirk and De Blasio—they're never yeah. going to go away. <laughs> Jacob Fry, like that yeah. dude. Jacob oh, Fry, my, Minneapolis. Yeah, oh my god. Yeah. Anyway, it, that's. That, of all the things that have come out the last week, right? The first week was inspiring uh, about... Yeah. The last week, the best stuff is the destruction of, like, this sort of progressive, neoliberal, say-the-right-thing mm-hmm. type of uh, mm-hmm. type of Democrat. And I hope that continues, at least. I think that's true. I hope you drive up. It's only 15 hours from you, right? Yeah, you could do it. O- <laughs> you could drive overnight. <laughs> I've done that trip before. Yeah. It's uh, 10 hours. No, no, it's more. Oh, it's 12 hours. Okay. It's not too Southern bad, Southern Oregon is very beautiful. <laughs> I know. The problem with that drive is that there are two things that are a problem with the drive. The first is that getting from the Bay Area to the Oregon-California border seems like it shouldn't be that long, but it is six hours, right? Yeah. There's Sacramento mm-hmm. in, the, in between. Well, Sacramento <laughs> is to the right. I mean, oh, okay. to the west, to the right. Oh, if you go like, straight north. my brain? <laughs> it's, to, uh, it's to the right um but oregon is also very long you know i think yeah. it's 400 miles long from the bottom <laughs> to the top and so uh i don't know it's a lot and then you have to drive 166 miles to get the capitol hill from the washington for sure uh so it looks like you've already uh, done the mapping i'm excited to hear your report no, i just have this like slightly <laughs> brain thing with like 
highways. Oh. Where I can, yeah. Anyway. Whatever. And there's no there's no Amtrak. There's no. Oh Amtrak. God, no. I could fly. I mean, yeah. I could do that. Yeah. Just but, get, uh, south, get a Southwest yeah, Airline fifty dollar ticket. I apologize for turning this into like a uh, you know like a travel <laughs> Transit agent. Transit nerd. Show. All right. <laughs> yeah. So the the next thing, I, Andy. One thing that I want to talk about before we get Nikhil on here is that. Uh, you and I have both watched uh, Bruce Lee, Like Water, which be is... Water. Be Water. Be Water. <laughs> I was like staring at my screen as if I was reading it off the screen, but I'm just looking at like uh, my desktop background. Uh, be Water, which is uh, the Bruce Lee documentary that aired on ESPN 30 for 30 on Sunday. Uh, Andy, what'd you think of it? It was, uh, you know, it was more than just about Bruce Lee, and maybe those are the types of things that we can talk about. What'd you think about this thing? I thought it was good. One thing that jumped out at me was the footage from the 1970s. I guess it's, uh, I don't know anything about um, that industry, but I guess it's because it's film, they could make it look really great, and it looked, like, stunning (laughs) to me. Like, it wasn't television. You know, it wasn't, like, pre-HD footage. So... I couldn't believe some of the um, really vivid moments they were capturing of 1970s Hong Kong, of his funeral. Um, That was really nice. Um, More generally, I think the film is probably going to be processed in sort of like the Lin Sanity way. Like this is a strong Asian role model. And, um, you know, I I can't, I have to confess, I had a lot of those thoughts also like, oh, this is great, like representation (laughs) and all that. Um, And the other thought I had was um, there's a really interesting story in the background of the of the movie that they don't really explore explicitly, but is there, which is this is also the story of kind of the post-World War collapse of the old order of the world. And you, you get a sense of like the hippie dippiness in LA where people yeah. are discovering Eastern spirituality, Eastern right. ideas yeah. and questioning, you know, Western metaphysics. And then you also have Bruce Lee leaving Hong Kong in 1960. But by the time he comes back in 1970, Hong Kong is a different society. It's a much richer society than it was. So in the background, I think, is the rise of Asia, the so-called rise of Asia, the four tigers, mm. Hong, Kong, Hong Kong being one of them. Um, and, you know, this is a theme I think that comes up in some Asian American stories. I don't know if you guys ever saw The Farewell, uh, the movie that came out last yeah. year, which talked about, you know, a lot of these immigrants leave Asia for America because there's going to be a better life in America. But then before they know it, actually, Asia is just as rich as America. And totally. perhaps it, it makes a lot of sense to go back to Asia to have a career. Yeah. And I think this is there's a lot of these stories in entertainment, especially, right? Like singers and, ho- and I don't know what Hollywood, mm-hmm. uh, movie actors and TV actors who go back, like people like us would go back to Asia and try to like make it big there because right. they they would actually welcome people who look like us and speak like us. Yeah, like after. MC Jin. Do you remember that guy? Yeah. MC totally. the battle rapper um, right. who won all those and battles and, and then he got a uh, he got a contract with Rough Riders. He put out a <laughs> single called Learn Chinese or Speak right. Chinese. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he went back to uh, Hong Kong just like Bruce Lee. Right. And had a much more successful career. I actually met him there for lunch. Uh, really? Was yeah. he is he still there or is he back in New York? Uh, this was years ago. This was probably nine years ago. Yeah. Um, but he was like two and a half hours late. But it was great. To- <laughs> it was actually great talking to him. He like yeah. talked to me for like a couple hours. That's awesome. Was, um, you know that was. Uh, yeah, I, 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 Annie, I agree with you. I, I found it like uh, somewhat frustrating in the sense that I felt like they were trying to make 
a much longer documentary, you know, and mm. since the OJ documentary, which rightfully is considered, uh, rightfully got all that praise and rightfully is considered one of the best sports and general documentaries maybe ever made. There's been such a push to mm -hmm. layer in any sort of historical context be behind the, uh, behind the subject. And sometimes that feels perfunctory at this point. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, well, you have to explain all the historical and societal things that led to this person being created. And I'm like, well, sometimes you don't, you know? Yeah. Sometimes you have a bunch of footage of like, dude, fucking kicking shit. <laughs> and you should just show, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you should just show that. And I so, uh, but I, that, that's not a commentary on this documentary. It's just a general commentary. But I also thought that, like, when some of that stuff was handled well, and then some of it felt perfunctory, and I don't know if it's my own personal bias because I really like this person, but I felt like when Jeff Chang was talking, you know, um, Jeff Chang being the you know author of several books, um, I felt like that was that he Jeff in his own inimitable way was just very concise about explaining where why Bruce Lee happened, and then I felt like some of the mm -hmm. other stuff was just all over the place, you know? Um, but I don't know. Um, overall, I liked it. Yeah, there was a lot of the sort of predictable Asian-American, right, milestones, yeah. like Exclusion Act internment. Yeah. They they, blend, they worked it in pretty um, seamlessly. I mean, it sounds very, like, crude, but, like, you know, his girlfriend in college, her family, she was Japanese-American, and she actually had experience internment, so they could work that in. Yeah. Um, and, like, how Hollywood, and I think Hollywood, white, Yellowface is definitely relevant to the story because yep. that's famously right. Bruce Lee comes up with the idea for the movie or the TV show. What is it, Kung Fu? Kung Fu, yeah. And then they give it to David Canadine, which is like Carradine. Oh my God. Yeah. Carradine, sorry. Yeah. yeah, which even today is just like shocking to think about. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. So if I watch this, do I not have to watch that PBS Asian American thing? Because it sounds like he got Forrest Gump, so it sounds adequate to me. <laughs> yeah, I have no commentary on that because I didn't watch it either. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Andy, um, if you say you watched it, I'm going to call you out. Because <laughs> you definitely didn't watch it either. Um, that that is not to say that we shouldn't have watched it. I I don't know. Like I I think that if you don't know that history at all maybe it was useful but like the bruce lee i don't know the, the other thing i will say about it was that i do think that um it did cement in my own head which is a thought that i've had for a long time that um tammy i don't think you need to have watched the documentary to have an opinion on which is that i think that when we look back at it and we think about the last 10 years of activism within immigrant communities you know especially asian communities that we will conclude that the centrality of representation and Hollywood representation within those politics of that community was 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 actively harmful, you know mm -hmm. that it was bad, and that uh, it was that it ended up being a massive distraction that only served a very small part of the community, and that the massive effects that they said it had on the psyche of young people might have been overstated. What do you think? I would have to agree with that. I mean, one thing I was thinking about with Bruce Lee, though, is maybe is his significance different because the representational politics of that time were so different? I mean, I think it's interesting, for instance, that the Hong Kong protesters have used Be Water mm -hmm. as their slogan. 
Like, why is that? I don't think there's, I don't think we're going to be doing that for Constance Wu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, no offense. Oh, but <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Wait. We're so in trouble on here. Yeah. By the way, you guys should read Andy's essay on Crazy Rich Asians. It's very I good. It's a horrible movie. <laughs> yeah. What? Actually, no, yeah. you don't need to, really. I actually defend that movie a little. Wait, Jay, what was the transition I there mean, from Bruce Lee of. to representational politics? Being... Well, I just felt like there's a lot of the movie was about re- representational yeah, politics. but um, And I don't... Look, I th- uh, Tammy, yes, I, I do think in the time of Bruce Lee, it was probably different, but there's a lot less Asians in America then. But yeah. I also think, like, uh, he was such an obvious star um, that, you know, he was at some point going to get picked up somewhere. And certainly there are obvious stars who are Asian American who have been left out of these things, you know, and Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think that's good. I don't think that's right. But I think that like the idea of representation politics outside of the, you know, outside of the, the, career help it gives to a specific type of wealthy upwardly mobile person when they try and radiate that out to like the personalized psychology of young people that's the part where i get really annoyed because i'm just like that makes that makes all the politics personalized and psychological you know by definition which i think is uh like not a good place to have all your chips on the table that that metaphor doesn't work but, but, well, the film does talk about, it's not that, I mean, it's actually for Bruce Lee, it's the opposite. Like, he has so much confidence, and they talk about the issues, the barriers he faced was the structures of Hollywood. And they were like, we have white audiences, and there's only three networks, and blah, blah, blah. And that I could honestly, like, mm-hmm. without, you know, divulging too much about academia, I could I could relate to that. Like, you go mm-hmm. up for, you know, you apply for a job, you apply for a, a postdoc or something, and the equivalent in any industry and you like the people who choose these things naturally are just going to choose people who they kind of see themselves in a little bit. So we're very happy to welcome our guest for this week. Uh, he was he's originally a journalist and a writer, editor of the literary magazine M Plus One. He's written many pieces for New York Times Magazine. Um, a book on the history of the office, and most recently ran for Pennsylvania's first state senate district, encompassing mostly center city Philadelphia, where he lives now. Uh, his name is Nikhil Saval. Thanks for joining us, Nikhil. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's real great, really great to be with you. Great. So we're recording on Sunday, June 7th, the night of. So far, the results are promising. Um, no definitive conclusions, but we could say this is a campaign that you can feel proud of. Uh, Nikhil, do you have any update for us? Do you want to break any news on our podcast? Give us an, ex- an exclusive. <laughs> uh, I wish I could. We're, you know, we, so on Tuesday night, from the in-person uh, voting totals, we we did quite well. We were up 68 to 32, roughly. Um, that's still only about 15% or maybe 20% of the vote because there are a number of mail-in ballots that have, that uh, it's the first time Pennsylvania you could vote by mail. Um, and so those have yet to be counted. We expect that, you know, we believe that our opponent would have to have a quite, a, quite just an extremely, like an, almost an inverted margin to what we have. I mean, maybe maybe a little bit less than that, just in terms of what we would he would need to 
to gain it. Now anything is possible. There could, you know, we just, we don't, no one has voted by mail before. So we're very, we're not saying anything yet, but we've, we certainly feel good and we certainly feel proud of the campaign and proud of our results on, on, on Tuesday. So, um, and then the Associated Press has called the election for us, which is, uh, is very nice. (laughs) How do you, how do you get alerted to that? Like, is there like, it's not, I mean, I imagine it's a, was it on, did John King on CNN like say, I'm right. I'm <laughs> like, ready. He went to the, yeah, I'm ready to call it. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> all these areas went for Nikhil Saval and, you know, like, I just don't right. see the votes. I don't see the votes anywhere. <laughs> uh, we just, someone told me, they were like, I think it was my, my dad maybe. And I'm like, why do you read the associated <laughs> print? Like my dad has been calling me and just being like, all right, so I analyzed the new batch of, <laughs> of like mail-in votes, and and he's like he, they came from a particular ward, and I and he's just go he's like doing a lot of like back of the envelope projections, and I'm just like and I mean yeah yeah it's pretty yeah. great. So um, yeah, someone told me about the AP thing, and so the day after actually I, of the election, and when people were calling, of course, because they had seen projections, and it was so lopsided and. I mean, even, you know, obviously for us, too, we, you, you never expect to win anything by that margin, you know, whether that's. And so um, even though we knew he, we had done quite a good job, the the when people were calling and they were like, you know, congratulations, I just was like all but saying, shut up. Like, I don't I don't believe it. Nothing has happened. And so I've now gotten past that and I'm now, you know, feel, you know, optimistic, I would say optimistic. Uh, so maybe we could just start before we kind of launch into the campaign with a brief background. You were originally a writer and an academic. How did you wind up in Philadelphia and how did you wind up deciding to run for political office? So, yes, yeah, so I am I am a, a writer. I am a, a former, I have a PhD in English. Um, we, so we're not, not ex- extremely useful, but the, the, um, so I've, I guess I've, I've actually done, I feel like I've done a lot of these things at, at the same time, organizing and writing. So they don't feel, I, I just feel like in a way I keep two sets of books and sort of people tend to know me by one or the other. Like they either know me from my academic or writing life or they know me from organizing. And I, since, so I, I've, I, I went to graduate school in, in California from about 2007 to 2011. We moved to Philadelphia because uh, my my now wife Shannon went to graduate school at UPenn for preservation and now works for the city. He's the only one of us actually employed at, at this moment. Um, and I, but I since two thousand nine, I've been doing some kind of organizing. I was a volunteer. I began volunteering for Unite Here, which is the union of hotel and hospitality workers. Did that in San Francisco when I was in graduate school. I think I was, uh, you know, I'm as Andy knows, a Marxist. And so I, um, I just, but I felt like I wanted to, I wanted to learn to organize. And I, and I, there was a controversy that is really arcane now about, uh, at between SEIU, the Service Employees International Union and Unite Here, where they were, one was rate, SEIU was raiding Unite Here's union. And I was reading about this and I was like, maybe I'll volunteer for Unite Here and kind of figure out how to do this. That was it. That was the real reason. And I just fell in love with with it. I just I was a boycott organizer, helping trying to get companies to move from 
hotels that were on strike or they were trying to organize a union. Um, and I kept that up when I moved to Philadelphia. I started volunteering for Unite here, here in Philly. And uh, I took two years off of all of it to write a book, my, which Annie mentioned, Cubed, History of the Office. Um, and then in 26... Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, there's been a lot of, there were a lot of media requests about the future of the office and during, un, about, oh, yeah, you I know, bet. because of COVID yeah. and <laughs> yeah. And I'm kind of out of, yeah, it's true. And, but I'm kind of out of the game. And so I don't really, I, I felt like I was disappointing a lot of people with the like, just thinness of my prognoses and whatever. I just like had not that much to say, but, um, I and then in 2016 the Sanders campaign came along and I thought all right I'll just like go out and do some work take a packet of turf out do something and then I again I kind of just fell headlong and just uh, just loved it and the group of people that we kind of came out of the Sanders campaign we just kept our stuff together we just wanted to keep going and so we founded a local organization called Reclaim Philadelphia um which subsequently I mean the idea was like campaigns come and go but we, you need an institutional sort of presence that like outlasts any given campaign and continues to keep people mobilized um, and grows. And then, you know, and so we, we helped to recruit and elect Larry Krasner for district attorneys, one of the leading progressive uh, district attorneys in the kind of a part of this progressive prosecutor movement, um, a state representative in South Philadelphia, Elizabeth Fiedler, who's a, a, a Kendra Brooks, who's, the first independent city council person in Philadelphia history, working families party candidate. And, um, and then I was elected a local democratic party ward leader in two years ago in South Philly, because I felt like we needed to start, you know, I think it was actually my experience at the democratic convention in 2016. I was pretty horrified by how the democratic <laughs> party was. Um, yeah. It's just like the whole city. Cause it was here. It was in Philly. And I went with a press pass and though I was kind of like moving between protests and press passes and then they, <laughs> but it was just like jingoistic, chauvinistic, like there was like super pro-war. It was just like the whole city had been taken over by lobbyists. They're like, you know, and everything we kind of know, you know, these things about the party, but just to see it and to live through it and to, and then. Um, to be very close to it is just very disturbing. And, and so just then feeling like I got to do something locally. And, and so that's why I, you know, ran to become a, you know, essentially a party boss. Like it's like, it is like the image of like, like most of the other people like take it as it's a very feudal thing. Like um, they, but they, it is their Philly has a big city machine and we, we, I became part of it. Um, Why, why do you do that at that point? Like, why not? You know, why not just start a podcast and write <laughs> and write and, you know, like purity test everybody, you know, like like other Marxists do. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about Andy, <laughs> but, but the, uh, you know, that seems to be a, a path. Right. And maybe that was a more natural path for you, given your background, you know, like what, why, why this step into politics? When you're discuss, when you know after this moment where you're disgusted by politics, it's a good question. I, I guess I, I like it honestly. Like I just like it, and I like, and I feel, um, I felt bereft. Like I think that because I did take two, like a, almost a full two years off of any kind of pol- political work, 
right after I, you, the organizing with Unite Here became very intense and I was just like unable to do both. Like I couldn't write, I had a book to write, I had to do all that stuff and I could, and I just couldn't, I couldn't keep it up. And so I stopped and then I found myself just like, it, like actually like quite emotional about it where I, I watched like Norma Ray on a plane or something and just like, <laughs> which is sobbed. And, you know, I, I know it's just like, you're also on a plane right. and everyone knows that. The hormones. Effect, but, yeah. no, what's that effect? Yeah. But it's just, <laughs> you cry more at watching <laughs> movies on a plane or something. Yeah. There, there's like a, for sure. There's a parent. This is like a, yeah, it's a, it's a consensus. I think nobody knows why. Right. And it's a great movie, but I just was like, I missed it. I missed everything. I missed organizing. And so, um, it is, I, I also felt like it actually, it freed me as a writer in some ways. Like I didn't feel like I had to do a certain kind of writing. Um, and I could write these architecture profiles for T Magazine, you know? And like, and I was like, it's okay. Because I, I mean, I'm, this is genuine. Like I do, I, I can do this and I, cause I also do this other thing. I also am an organizer and I felt like I could, I could, have both and and i think there is otherwise this kind of sense that you have to like Mm. and i think it's unfair that your life has to be whole or it has to be complete like everything you do has to be kind of unified and it's not that i don't talk about politics or write you know it's just they're not it's not a very like my writing is not always essentially not very like I don't know, social justice oriented for lack of a better word. It isn't really that often about organizing. And I felt like I could, they inform each other, but so it was also that I want, I I have to, I wanted to, I wanted to just do both. I mean, now I'm in a position where actually one is going to definitely take precedence over the other. Like I can't, you can't really do both, but yeah, (laughs) that's, that's why I, um, you know, Andy yeah. does this too, for what it's worth. Andy does also organize. It's he has he did some work for the campaign, and <laughs> I've, I've I've called him up to root to recruit yeah. the campaign. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So. He saw his uh, <laughs> orange <laughs> t-shirt and gear. That's so, but, I mean, yeah. <laughs> bright orange. Do you want to say a little bit about why though? Because I like being involved in the labor movement. Like, has been very formative for me. But I would never go into mm-hmm. electoral politics. Like, I feel like the kind of organizing you do in, you know, labor and community organizing is very different than in this sort of thing that you've now taken on. So why this and why in Center City in your particular district? What did that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I didn't, I don't think I went, so when I was doing labor organizing, I had no interest or or much of an understanding, I would say, of electoral politics. And, it, you know, to be fair, it was considerably less, I would say it was considerably less interesting in like 2009. And maybe that's unfair, mm-hmm. but it's just, but it didn't, right, and I was yeah. in San Francisco, there were interesting city council people or, you know, board of supervisors yeah. figures. So I'm not, uh, that's yeah. probably says more about me than about who was running. But, but I just didn't, <laughs> I just thought, I, yeah, it wasn't a, a particular interest of mine. I mean, I had done... You know, I canvassed for Obama, I think, you know, mm-hmm. but, but very, very minimally. Mm-hmm. I think it was really yeah. after the Sanders campaign and then and then really the Krasner election here because it was more, it was sort of more, uh, it was yeah. just local, you know, it just, and um, it became mm-hmm. clear that there was actually like a way that electoral politics could be virtuous. Like the cycle would not just drain people from, 
yeah. movement work or issue-based work, but it actually enlarge it. That was just, it was just interesting because you would go to people's doors and you would just talk about criminal justice reform. And it was, I mean, post-Trump, I think there was an immediate shift in, in what, mm. either in people's attitudes or what they allowed themselves to think or what they temporarily, I, you know, it's, un, it's unclear, but something changed. People were ready to accept a different model of, of local politics, I think. And that's great. And you could just, and there was no personalities involved. Like no one was with the Sanders campaign. People had, were following it, right. They had opinions about Sanders. They had opinions about Clinton. They just had opinions about the people. And this was just, this was <laughs> yeah. a way of getting outside of candidate centered politics as well. I thought it, cause you had a person who was very, who had a lot of integrity among social movements and, Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, and that was just exciting. And we then and we just did something that no one, th- we were part of a movement that did something that no one thought possible in this city. And yeah. so then you were like, well, what else can we do here? What else? Can we, what else can we organize around? We have this so basis for something totally new. And so that was just, and then all the you know, and people get driven from there into issue-based work. There's just a newer base of people. Right. Um, and I think it's also just a media cycle. I think electoral politics just gets covered sometimes in a way that other things don't. And I'm not saying that this is a good mm-hmm. thing or a bad thing, but it just is, I mean, it's, it's probably, it's almost certainly a bad thing, but it's, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. but it's, uh, it just means <laughs> that there is just like a, it sustains kind of it, you're you you do kind of need confirmation of what you're doing by an external source. A lot of people, I certainly do. Like, I it helps me when to read about right. something happening, and uh, that I think is just how it is. And so it does help that mm-hmm. people can can feel themselves to be part of something in it in a in a when they're in, involved in it in electoral campaign. So, like, how, how, what do you think about it now in terms of, you know, like, what's going on right now uh, in Philadelphia and everywhere, you know, where it seems like there is a type of change that is being demanded that is very, you know, that is outside of electoral politics. Like, I, I, none of us expected this, obviously, but, like, have you, has it changed your <laughs> thinking at all? Right. You know, you're like, like, uh, is this the revolution, you know, like, did I, uh, <laughs> and... And am I, am I, like, do you have any thoughts like that? Like, are you, like, how are you, how are you processing everything? As an, as, as a almost, I guess we can't say, but (laughs) potential uh, future, you know, um, politician. I'm, I'm not, I feel like I'm not processing it at the speed that I would like, I would say. And and it, it's also helps. It's also a problem that I had a certain kind of tunnel vision where I was like, it Mm -hmm. all started to explode I mean, you know, at least the recent protests, like right, right around the campaign. And that was right, like, yeah. um, at the same, so at this, at the time, you know, I, I was calling people on the phone. I mean, it did shift things. I mean, people were, were, I mean, one, there was an immediate shift in, in the kind of questions people were asking. Either they were, they would ask right. questions that were like, are yeah. you, what do you think of looting? Which had its own, there was, a, there was, there, there was an answer that they wanted. What would you say? What would you say when they said that? Would you send them like a link to a new inquiry, please? From like, and they're like the new inquiry. This is like a. This is a yeah, what is that? The, uh, Listen, they were a competitor of ours for for a few years there. <laughs> um, no, you start you 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 start talking about 
I, I think the thing I said was, and I said this, some, I said something like this in, in an email, you know, I, I walked down the street near my house and there's actually a lot of black owned businesses, um, on the street. They lit and I, and I, in a way I fully knew how many, because they were boarded up and they had listed them. Mm. And, oh, well. and this, this neighborhood of where I live there is under, you know, heavy gentrification pressure. And I was like, these are, these businesses are not going to be what is really the, the long-term threat here is not, is that they don't have stable rents and they don't have, like, I would just talk about the, the like longer right. term issues. It's not this, what, what we're seeing in the streets is not like what people feel like is the, is just deep damage to our society is not that. And so that's what I, and then, or I would say something about, I don't know, I could sometimes say something about Amazon and real loot. Like, what about the real looters? And so, I don't know. But actually, I, I didn't, that, that actually, that, that's not really where my head goes. It's, even though I think it's true, obviously. It's just like, um, but, but, but then. It's really not the most effective right, either. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> they are, you know, and yeah, it's, but mm-hmm. I think, so that would work. I think people would, would say like, you know, you're just like, you have to kind of establish a common grant because people like small businesses, right? They like a support right. and they like. Um, and, un, you know, understandably, it's not like a, but you, and so I, that's, that's what you, you would sort of appeal to. Like, what is the lo- how do we create long-term mm-hmm. stability in our society for, for like, we actually have a diverse business corridor here. Like we have a lot of minority owned businesses, but they're all in trouble because of what's not because of yeah. anything that's happening in the streets. But, um, what is your district like? It, where where exactly do you live? And then how would you describe the, the kind of demographics and layout of your district? So I live in, um, I, so it's, so the district is, is for people who don't know Philadelphia, it is basically the, it, there may be very few districts like it. It's just the heart of the city. It, in, it encompasses the downtown mm-hmm. in all of South Philly, east of Broad Street, the major kind of north-south thoroughfare. Oh, wow. Okay. And it then, it has some weird portions to it. It, it has uh, parts of the uh, Fishtown, the river, so it goes up along the Delaware River, the art museum area, Fairmount, and then, Interesting. and then okay. it cuts, and then it goes cuts southwest along uh, Passyunk Avenue. It goes all the way to the airport, so it has the stadiums in it. Hmm. But the main section is the downtown, and then a large residential neighborhood, South Philadelphia. And the reason it's drawn in this particular way, and it's hard to visualize, but basically it was drawn to be whiter than it would otherwise be. So it cuts out very obviously uh, large black, historically black neighborhoods um, in the city, and. Mm. And it was in Philadelphia is you know forty percent black. It's 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 a majority minority city. The district itself mm-hmm. has become more diverse since these lines were drawn because immigrants and children of immigrants from South Southeast Asia, South Asia, Latin America have moved into the district. So it's 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 like it's yeah, it's wow. whiter than than Philadelphia as a whole, but not by that much. And so that also. I live in South Philly. I live in a neighborhood that was probably black and Italian at various points and now is not, I would say, largely. And it's like mm. it's 80% mm-hmm. white, I would think. And, but oh, then wow. as you go further south, that starts to change. And so it's, 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 it's gone a, been like a 20-year process of gentrification, of like slow, much slower than like New York or something in terms of gentrification. But, mm-hmm. um, but the main issue is like you have to – you're – what what used to be the case is that the center city, the downtown area, was like the liberal section of the city. 
And then the South mm-hmm. Philadelphia section where I live now was more conservative in various ways. Like not necessarily mm-hmm. in all, all ways, but just in, in, you know, in kind of like very crude ways, like in a crude sense that it was like white ethnic, if you want to use that term. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, but because of all the organizing that's happened over the, and the, and the movement in these neighborhoods over the last five or six years, our neighborhood has become way more progressive. It has like, wow. I think like it's 13% of the district in one of, one of the polls that we had that was done in our campaign identified or 30% of the voters polled identified as socialists, which is like a lot, I think Whoa. like it's like a lot of, you know, in, in this <laughs> district. So, um, anyway, so it, yeah, it's, it's like, Ooh. you just don't, you don't, you never expected that to happen. So it's, it's changed. And so the, actually the more conservative parts are in some ways the more the wealthier parts of the city are like are downtown at this point. So mm. what? What? go ahead. Andy. So uh, what do you think is going on in Philadelphia politics? We probably should have mentioned this earlier. It's basically a safe democratic city. You mentioned the machine earlier, but you're also kind of the progressive insurgent candidate against the sort of centrist established democratic party there. Um, and in many ways, I think a lot of our listeners are interested in like, what do we make of the democratic party as a whole? Mm-hmm. What is going on right now? Um, what do you think is going on, I guess, both in Philadelphia and perhaps if you could comment on if that has any bearing on what's going on nationally, is there, do you see this sort of Bernie crap takeover <laughs> happening? Or? It, it, it sort of depends. I mean, like we, I think in a lot of these, you know, the, the, there there's, so there's something that I think is, is somewhat unique to Philadelphia, but it, but it also, I think it, there are parts of sh- like Chicago is similar and, um, and certainly parts of New York and actually and it has to do with the machine itself. Like, I think there's, Philadelphia has, like, the largest, I think is, like, the last big city with, like, a pretty intact party machine um, where this, the Philly local Democratic Party is is not do, not super healthy, but is doing still relatively well. Like, they can field a slate of candidates. Like, in 2019, they had a slate of candidates that they endorsed, um, two, of, two or three of whom were incumbents, but... Um, nonetheless, they, and then, but they all won, you know, they were actually able to keep it together. They, they leaned on the ward leaders. They leaned on the party bosses to just like get those candidates through and they won. So even though Krasner had won and all these, there were all these, you know, serious challenges, like ultimately they could still kind of beat off whether there was like a neoliberal candidate who was running, who who lost and wasn't endorsed by the party. There was a, there were a number of like left wing or socialist candidates who lost. They could just, they could fight them off. And, and, and so, but I mean, the machine is not like impermeable and there are lots of parts to it. And the fundamental thing is like there are, the labor is a big part of it. And so Philadelphia is a pretty big labor city. They haven't, it has, and so they've, you can kind of unite a lot of these coalitions, parts of the machine, if you parts of the machine, parts of labor, and then this progressive insurgency that is that we see in lots of places, and and fashion a coalition that that works. I think in cities that are like like in the heart of Manhattan, I think it's like way harder to run a campaign of this kind. Like you can't, you just don't have mm-hmm. the right elements where like. Because also you have to, like, we run, we can run against the machine and be like, we're, 
we're insurgents, we're progressives, we're also good government people, we're into transparency, we're into, you know, we're, we're new, we're creative. There's like a kind of fluidity between, you know, the left-wing language and just the language of, of like progressive in the old sense of being like pro-good government. Because people hate mm-hmm. the machine because it's corrupt, right? And like, right. And, yeah. uh, and so you can kind of capture that to a little, to a degree. And then, and then, but then you can also win over people who like sections of progressive labor movements or, I mean, in this case, we won over parts of the building trades, which is almost never happens. Um, wow. and there's complicated reasons for that, but like, but I'm, but I mean, partly I have a labor organizing background, so it helps, but I just feel like yeah. we, Chicago, like you, a lot of DSA kind of socialist members were elected to aldermen like a, a, a year or two yeah. ago. Um, I think, you know, I don't have a, re- this is like a guess, but like in places like, like where AOC won and like, or where Julia Salazar won or places in New York, like there is the, where there is like a Queens machine or where there is like an existing apparatus. It like that weirdly is helpful, I think, to run against. Whereas like mm. in places of a city that are so fully captured by like some, by money or like the, right. like a, like a true neoliberal takeover it's like hard, I think it's harder to win. That's my guess. Like, I, I don't know if that's, yeah. I, and so our district having, having a lot of different parts to it, um, you can kind of, you can pull together a coalition that, you know, they're not like, they're not far left. They're not socialists. They're not, but they just are, they want something new and they want to be, they want it not to be corrupt and they want it to be future minded and they want it to be, not you know racist maybe like they i think they would just like i think mm-hmm. there's there's just the, they i hope i mean you know i was it was a question for me i was like i am like it's ne- it was it's still like a largely white district can i actually win here yeah. um right are they yeah. going to be able to pronounce my name like do they you know like there's just all this stuff that you have to like you think about and so the, did you feel your race well, during the campaign yeah what yeah was so like? i think there's like there are ways that you you there are implicit and explicit ways. So the explicit way was that we were figured as being sort of not from here. Like that was the rhetoric of, and so like, sometimes they were like, you're from New York, which I'm, and I could, I, I it's not that helpful to be like, I'm actually from Los Angeles. Outside agitator. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm an yeah. outside agitator. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they, the, the incumbent sent out a letter to all the, um, all the kind of democratic party people and the local committee people, um, which make up the word system, send a letter to everyone saying, I am a native born son of this community. Wow. Yeah. And so I was wow. just like, well, that's, I, I don't, I don't, you know, yeah. Like we all immediately know what that means. And so. <laughs> Wait, we should, we should clarify for the listeners. What is your background? Oh, so I'm, really I'm South Asian. Uh, my parents are, are, came to from India in 1970. I was I was grew up in Los Angeles, so I moved here right 10 years ago. So, so they they really exploited the like not from here part of this. How do you respond to that? Because it, <laughs> it generally is like an effective and powerful attack, right? Or yeah, like, I would just say I would um, say, I mean, one there was the I would talk about the work that I had done, you know, in the in for and just just the the fact that I had done a lot in Philly for 10 years is, was significant. Mm-hmm. But then I would also just say, it's okay to move to Philadelphia. Like, it's like, you can, <laughs> right. you can, we should be encouraging it. 
this district has grown more diverse. It's like it's it has. And the reason Philadelphia is growing is because of immigrants and children of immigrants moving to the district. That is literally true. It is like it's not growing because of yuppies moving in or people like or young, you know, whatever the image is of of why cities grow. It's because the city is 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 full of people from other countries, you know. And so it's like it's I think that was that. That was, you know, I th- the other thing is I just feel like the people for whom that attack matters are, are not going to vote for me. Like, if, that, if that's an essential thing that you be f- from here. And the incumbent is, in fact, not from here in some sense that he grew up in the suburbs and is not like, so it's not, mm-hmm. I mean, it's in the region. It's not, I don't really care about that, but it's just like, there, there's, <laughs> there's like, but it's just, there are ways in which this, the politics of this is really ridiculous. And, um, uh, you could say you love Kobe Bryant. I, oh yeah, well oh I was gosh. like I I am going to I'm just I have to maintain my Lakers fandom. This is in like even despite being it would be like it would really show a lack of integrity I think if I just started supporting the Sixers. But if you had like a lower Marion jersey on. Yeah, you that would do be that. I know that would be really um, calculating. I just cuz like I'm not It would be kind of cheap. I can't do it. If you did that, I would call yeah, you. Yeah, I, I would listen. That would, no, he's, he's, he's doing this cynically. <laughs> he's, he's a, um, this is a very basic question, and but it's one that you know I think is many of our listeners would be interested in. It's just like here, you know, given your politics and you know how you described your politics on the show, like why 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 run as part of the Democratic Party? Like why why run as a Democrat at all? Like I, I understand the answer is like because I won't win otherwise. But you know, like you know, is it? Is, is that it or is there or is there some some other reason so I, I guess I feel that you you do deal with i mean it's it's interesting i I feel like I po- identify as a Democrat more and more, but that may also just be like now that i'm in I've been part of it or in it for so long like I was literally a democratic yeah. party ward leader. And there was, there were people who have, they can, you know, actually, I remember going to speak at one of these meetings of of like a local party. And they said, why, you know, they said, why are you a Democrat? They asked me that. And it's so it's a similar question, but they asked it from the, you're, you know, you criticize the party, you were, you know, you supported Sanders, Mm -hmm. you know, there's all this, like, that's the, um, you're a socialist. I think that was the implication. And, and I guess I, you know, I, having now committed to it and to committing to changing the party, it's, 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 it's like, I, I actually feel like it is in Pennsylvania, the right, the way that we can, the way that we can actually fundamentally transform the hmm. state. I also, I guess I feel that we have to try this strategy until it fails. Like, I actually feel like we haven't fully tried it. And if there's a hmm. point at which, and it, and we should just be real about it. Like, I think in other in in the history of the United States and certainly in other countries, like parties like don't last forever. Like it's not like it is it is unusual. Like we for for parties to just like endure well beyond the point of commanding any loyalty or interest. In this case, I think actually in the U- U.S. there actually is a lot of party loyalty, despite the party being weird. Like we, you don't pay dues. You're mm-hmm. not like, but people do identify. As Democrats, I think that's why it's hard for insurgents to win these prim- national primaries because they start to coalesce around. Like I think this is kind of what happened with Biden, where they just people were like, "I'm going to like 
power is consolidating. I'm a Democrat. I'm going to identify as a Democrat. I'm going to support the, what, the direction that this Definitely. party is going in. And so, um, but I do think it's the right thing to do in this particular state, given the conditions that we have. I do think that there is an opportunity to change the party and do things that we we need to accomplish. We need we establish, like achieve our goals. It feels harder. Hmm. I don't. I used to think, you know, I, I like my my feelings about the national question are. are I don't. I I don't know anymore. Like I don't. Like it, it's part. Do you think it's changed at all? Because like I, you know, we see. I think that the people during these last two weeks who have come across the worst, right? And this is not not the opinions of people on the right, but the opinions of people on on who are at these protests. Like the biggest villains are pretty progressive Democratic mayors. Right. You know, like De Blasio. Mm-hmm. As much as you hate him, is like a progressive mayor. Like there's no question, right? He he's he was more progressive than the people mm-hmm. he ran against uh, in the first election. And this Jacob Fry guy, who you know is now like. <laughs> <laughs> immortalized. I, mean, the most, I don't. I don't know what I would do after that. I, think I, would, I would go for a very long drive, and I might drive across the border and be like, "I'm going to start a new life." You know, <laughs> it's like a Neil Young song or something like that. And by the end, you're like, you're 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 doing something like wildly problematic, like you know, and, and sitting in some lodge in Saskatchewan. Right. But like the. Uh, the you know the, are, uh, the the Seattle mayor yeah. too, Jenny Durkin. Oh yeah, and Jenny Durkin as well. Although she's not as progressive as the other. No, she's not. Yeah. She's, a she's a Seattle she's mayor. Um, yeah. Do you think that's changed though? Do you think that the uh, that the let's just do it for the that 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 might have changed at all in the last two weeks? Because I I don't know the answer to that, but I would totally agree with your assessment of what happened post South Carolina yeah. in the national primary, like where people are just like. Well, you know, like we gotta just do it because this is our best shot, and let's let's just let's just do it, close our eyes and do it. But like, do you do you think that's still true, or do you feel like did you feel any sort of mm. shift? Um, it's, I did feel a shift. I don't know how, because we. I, I guess I would say that going into so there, with both with COVID and then this and then the uprisings that are going on right now. With COVID, I felt like it would it could really go one of two ways. Like I actually thought people, and I, I'm in fact in my pessimistic view, I thought it was not necessarily helpful. Not just because of the structural problems of like organizing and all that stuff, but just because people could be like, we need a steady hand during this crisis. Right. We need you know we need firmness. We need experience, and so, um, and so because you you know you're out of fear, you're not you may not think okay, I'll go in this other direction or what feels to be another direction or, or something radically new. But um, with the uprisings, that was more palpable, even though it's more recent, because people asked about it. People were very, that was an immediate question. It's like, what do you think? What, do you, what would you do? What is your response? How would you reform the police? Mm-hmm. Like, what would you, like, that was the, that was the feeling. And so, and then it's true, yeah, with, with, um, in terms of the progressive mayors thing, I actually feel like this is like its own, there's so many of them and they all like, they're all like, they actually were all kind of immediately disappointing in various ways. Like de Blasio was like very, very <laughs> swiftly, I think became, cause at the time you thought, I remember it was like, oh man, he was in like, I mean, I, now I'm not, he was in Nicaragua or something, right? He was doing like Latin American solidarity work in the eighties. <laughs> you just have these images and you're like, 
wow. Like it's, and then my friends are getting jobs in his administration. You, like you start to hear things right. like that. And, yeah. um, but they just, they, you know, they come into power just like, uh, or they, or when in power, they like, they have this kind of, they have like a coalition. Like it was always true with de Blasio where he actually was just really backed by real estate developers, like ultimately. And so like, and I'm not, yeah. I'm like not saying like, I knew all along, like, I don't really, that's not true. Like, <laughs> it's just like, I you are, it is disappointing. Like you are disappointed. It's real. But, um, yeah, I guess I, I wonder, I think people are, uh, I mean, to get back to your question, I think, um, I think there, 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 we have to like, this happened and this happened during this election too, is that I was running against someone who was considered by many people to be progressive in a, in, in one sense. But, you know, you have to make the case you and it's and it's very frustrating and kind of annoying because you're making the case that on the basis of this term progressive, that it's like starts to be emptied out at a certain point. But you're like, no, I'm actually mm-hmm. that's not what progressive is. Right. Like Progressive isn't taking thousands of dollars from the fossil fuel industry and and uh, real estate developers. It's progressive is actually like nor, you know, it's actually like it's this different thing. It's I we're trying to present this new image. And maybe that, but maybe that has happened. Maybe people now do think that. Maybe people do actually recognize the difference because it's become clear. It's like this person I thought was progressive yeah. actually is not. Like they just, when push comes to shove, um, they won't, they won't, when you have to choose sides, basically, when you have, when it's clear mm-hmm. that you have to choose sides and it's like, oh, this, my mayor chose the police. Like they chose that side. That's Yeah, that was totally. the most amazing part of that video was that, the person who was interrogating him did such a good job of pushing him into a corner. It was just like, it's a yes or no question. Will you like defund the police? Yeah. And, you know, the second he started to equivocate, I don't know. I actually don't know if I ever use that word correctly. I think I was using it correctly, <laughs> right? Equivocate means whatever. Well, like the second he started to stall, he, uh, she just said like, yes or no, uh, will you defund the police? We won't put you through that. Right. <laughs> 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 Yeah. But, like, uh, obviously in your first term, right, or if, if this all happens, but, like, you know, looking forward to what could be your first term, the question about policing and, and you know, what happened in Philadelphia, which was re- really shocking for everyone to watch, I think, around the country, mm-hmm. like, including me, I was just like, what is going on in Philadelphia? Uh, it's going to be front and center. Like, what, has, have you... Have you thought about what you're going to do? Like, you're the first person with any sort of power, you know, that has been on our podcast. <laughs> so we wanted that. <laughs> um, Everyone else has been like a journalist who like hangs out, you know, like who lives in Hong Kong or something like that. So Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I have and I haven't in the sense that I do, you know, I came into prior to all of this. You had, we, you, we did have a, an idea of what we wanted to do about policing. Like, we did want to put major curves on the police and whether that and I mean there's just you know for example it's I, I mean this is more of a state issue than a city issue but you like this this state um actually like diverts a lot of like transit and infrastructure funding to the police like it just does that mm. by this slate of sleight of hand and that sucks like it does like they just they give money that should be going to like transit and and like just our bridges and things like that to state police. Um, there are lots yeah. of ways I think that cities just do that. Like and now people just see when they say defund the police, they're posing that very acutely. They're just like, 
Yeah. We're not, we're spending all this money on police and prisons and we're not on, on just anything, on anything that is better than, there's so many things that are better. <laughs> and, um, and so I actually, my fear is like not being, not meeting the moment. Like I, I'm not, yeah. I, like I would like to be, like that's why I'm, I'm like, it's actually, it's very exciting in the sense that you're like, no, it's great. You want, you come to, if you're going to come, come into office, you definitely want a mass movement at the moment. Like it, that's, at least that's how I think of it. I would never, I could not imagine anything better in some ways than, than, than the kind of clarity that's coming to lots of people right now and the, and the willingness to, to back. Cause like you can't do anything unless you have a bunch of people willing to back you up. Right. It's like, it's not just that they hold you accountable, but that actually, if you want to stick your neck out, something's going to happen. Like there are going to be people out like on the streets or whatever it is, or like making calls or whatever you need to do, occupying the right institutions, blocking, you know, it just seems important. Um, so yeah, I, in fact, I'm just, I, I'm worried about just being able to like, to, uh, and not in a, it's a good worry. I feel like just being like ready to, to be, to be responsive and to be, to feel like there's something there's a good dynamic between the office, between like having a state office and having this movement. How, how do you balance that though? You know, it's like you certainly have constituents, right? Who live in downtown uh, Philly or who are living in heavily gentrified areas who are going to hear a phrase like defund the police or, you know, like a position of police abolition and freak out, right? Like either they under, misunderstand what the position is or they just don't, support it regardless mm-hmm. right um like given if if you're if you're before all this if your tendencies were to you know think about things that way if you now have constituents who don't want that like how, how do you even take assessment of it these, these are like the most basic questions about like what is it like being a public <laughs> official but you know like i'm actually quite you know i'm interested in it like how do you how do you balance what is a, a radical moment that matches with one's like you know like own politics in their heart, but then try and balance it with the fact that now at this moment, you also now have to go occupy this like elected official seat. It, I think there are two, there are two sides to this. Like one is that if you don't actually, if you take a stand, like it's like the, the mayor of Minneapolis, like if you take a stand that is like, is so pusillanimous, like you just, it like, even if that actually is like, cause it, that is the like, the right stance in like quotation marks. Like it's like the stance that is most responsive to the largest number of people. And like, you're the mayor of so many different people. And like, if you just say, if you, if you have no integrity and you don't choose a side when you're being asked to choose one, then you don't, then everyone hates you. Like, I think even the people who like, like no, <laughs> like even the people who are like pro police probably still also hate you. Like they're, yeah. cause they're just like, well, you just like, <laughs> Well, they hate right. him anyway. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. hate him anyway. Like, but like, they would just. They, um, so this this came up actually with um, with uh, with regard to one issue with overdose prevention sites or safe injection sites or whatever. Uh, there was a mm-hmm. Philadelphia was going to open the first, and it was going to open in the district, and a lot of like most people were against it. Most elected officials in Philadelphia. Um, the mayor actually supports it and then Krasner supports it, but there was actually a kind of failure of leadership on, on all sides to kind of support it. And my opponent, the incumbent, 
came out against it and and I was I had been on record as being for it and I was it was a clear stance for me. I was like, oh we should def this we should absolutely open this, even though it's actually fairly unpopular. And like most of the con- mm-hmm. like it was like most of the constituents in the district don't support it probably. Like if or like if if really pushed on it, especially. Like they would be like, Would you open this in your neighborhood or whatever? They would say no, right? I think that's but you I think just by taking the stand, like it did polarize people. Like I think a lot of people then associated me as the overdose prevention sites guy. And like, I'm sure I lost a ton of votes in like certain neighborhoods, but you know, but it just enough people are actually just enthusiastic about someone who is just like, and I I don't think this is like unique. It's just like you just being like, I'm very, I I just having clarity on the issue and being able to take a clear stance at some point. And saying I support them, they, and like, and then leading and be, making sure that you like, you're like, this is, this is a medical facility, like this is healthcare, this is mm-hmm. access to treatment, like you have to do that, and you can't otherwise you can't. It's very hard to live with with oneself. But I think the other side of it is like <laughs> making sure that it is, like I think especially in this district, like you actually do have to talk through it. It it it's useful to be to to indulge sort of like the the complexity of an issue, even if your stance is actually very clear. Like if you're, so I, I remember when it came to, there was like a large movement to like cancel rent. Like, and people were like, actually like, we should cancel rent in the, in, during the COVID crisis, everyone should cancel rent. And even for me, like, I actually was like, yeah, totally, we should cancel rent. But like, I agree, but I actually didn't really understand how it was going to happen and how we were going right. to do it. Yeah. And so I kept calling people to like, and housing people. And I was like, how do we actually do it? And then we came up with a plan that was like kind of wonky, that was like involved mm-hmm. the governor um, ha- creating a mortgage forbearance program and having anyone who takes <laughs> you, uses the forbearance program being required not to collect rent. And that actually cancels rent for thousands of people. It would work. It is possible. Like it was one of these things that you could do. And, and so I think it was useful to just be like, yes, I support, like to, to be like, I, I have a, I have, um, I support this extreme, like what is considered extreme by lots of people. And I have this like totally reasonable way to do it. Like it, it, like it's, it's like a, it almost feels annoying. Like I almost feel annoyed at having to be like so wonky. Like it's just like, cause I actually, I normally hate those people who are just like, well, we got to be reasonable about this, you know? And, and like, and like, I feel like neoliberals mm-hmm. were like really good at this. Like they were just like, they were really good at just being like, w- like, well, we have all these stakeholders and we bring them to the table and like we, we measure the various interests and we create this root, you know, this system that actually, ultimately privileges like the most powerful people and richest people like and so yeah, yeah. but it had the, this image Glacius, yeah it had this image right. of being like yeah. oh wow they really considered everything and like this is this, <laughs> their policies are so complex and like but um <laughs> but, like, he became a technocrat yeah, they said that police deaths would reduce by 72 percent or like whatever right. that yeah. is yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Hey, so I, you know, I have one more question, and, and I don't know about you guys, but you know, I think Tammy has to go, so maybe we can yeah. wrap this up. But just like, you have a lot of attention for being a state senator for Pennsylvania that is not on most candidates for state senator from Pennsylvania. And, you know, it, it is because of the work that you did as a writer and you know as an editor, and um, you know, I think that you're somebody that a lot of people up in New York or you know around the country who have read a lot of theory 
you know, would pay attention to. Like you're sort of their guy. Like does that? Like I, I, I think that's accurate and fair to say, sure. right? Um, the is that does that does that? How, how do you deal with that? Like is that a is that something that that you think about? Is it? Do you think of yourself as? Do you feel that pressure, or do you? You know, like people's hopes that that maybe electoral politics could work for them through somebody like you. I. I, pro- I feel like I will feel that a little bit more in the f- as as time goes on. I think the right now it feel it doesn't it's it's not it's it feels very local like still for me like it does feel mm-hmm. like like this in fact this instance is like one of the first times I'm having to like engage that there was the New York Times article that did kind of make me think about it nationally <laughs> but like they but like but it's a slightly bigger platform like, than our podcast but only yeah. slightly. <laughs> <laughs> but even there, like, you know, actually the reporter, I have to say, like, that was, that was one of the best pieces about Philly politics that has, it's w- much better, in fact, than most of the pieces that came out here. <laughs> like, the Jonah Bromwich, the reporter, <laughs> James Moore. But um, the, th- the way I think about that, and I think this is like a, this is the complicated thing is like, you act like it is, it is actually important, as is clearly true from like, state, like, from people who have national pr- like platforms but are local politicians to to use them like you should use the opportunity like you should you should just you have to take advantage of it but you also need to like I feel like a lot of people end up in these positions where they're fu- they're known as fighters and they're known as like really battling and like in their in like their and they're kind of lone mm-hmm. voices in in their le- in their mm-hmm. legislatures or things like that and I don't actually want to end up that way like I do yeah. want to mm. I want to build something long term I want to build something around the state I do want to pass legislation like I do want to like <laughs> like it, yeah. it does like what you do want to you do want to be you want power like long-term power like you want it to be and what that is I think I don't think those two things are necessarily you know like opposed but it is like I think that you have to that's that's what I'm just kind of thinking about like I think I'm concerned about that and making sure that and and there aren't that many good models for it there aren't a lot of models of like yeah I don't know vote very vocal people or like outsized people like winning winning a seat or winning a particularly legislative seat and then expanding that power like there isn't like whether that's like Bella Abzug or AOC or you know like there's just like we don't we don't really we don't really know. Like we we haven't really. Yeah, like maybe like Pramila Jayapal in Washington State is like one of the, you know, maybe she has more. Doesn't she have more power in Washington than in D.C. than than most of the people that would that were Bernie aligned? That may be true. I think she, she, <laughs> she, she and Mark Pocan, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, certainly more than like somebody like Rashida Tlaib, who's like. I yeah. love in it, but is who you're describing is like is a fighter, and will probably prime get primaried. You know. Yeah, she's um, being she's being primaried. I think. Yeah. 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 I meant like unsuccess like successfully oh, primaried, yeah. but like um, I don't know if that's true or not. But you know, like that that's a one type of model, and that's something that's very appealing to like me, and I think to us. But you know, like that also has like a very limited um, time period on it. Uh, Annie, do you have any other questions or, or Tammy? 
No, I was just going to say that was great. Thank you so much. I have to go to a housing organizing call, speaking of. But, That's awesome. <laughs> That's cool. What's, what's the housing? Oh, yeah. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> we're just organizing in our complex for domination. Oh, okay. Great. Great, great. <laughs> Anti-eviction. Are you, are, you like, are you trying to take over the other white projects? <laughs> yeah, Jay yeah. calls our complex the white projects. <laughs> it is the white projects. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, we're going to take over Stytown, you know. We're gonna... <laughs> we only go where Times Magazine writers live. <laughs> yeah. um, All right, bye. All right, bye. Yeah, I mean, Nikhil, is there any, right before we go, is there anything else you want to say, thinking about the future of politics in Philadelphia or bro- more broadly? I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's like, I think this is obviously... If, if this pans out, I mean, we, if our lead holds and everything works out, we like, this is, this is one of the crazier things that we've ever done. <laughs> I think it's like, and so we, we do, I think the thing that's exciting, yeah. you know, for me is that, is it, it always brings up like, well, what else can we do? Like, that's actually the, that's, I think what the exciting part of this is like, there were 500 volunteers on this campaign. There were like, you know, they were like, it, and that's just a lot of people. Like, that's a lot of people to, like, put into other kinds of initiatives. And, like, they're all, right now, the, like, WhatsApp channel that we created for the day of election for the volu- for the campaign is now just a, is now just part of the pr- organizing protests. Like, yeah. they're, like, or they're part of their, it's just how, like, right. helping people getting, get connected to, like, the uprisings right now. That's great. I just feel like that's super exciting. So, I, I don't know, that's, that's where... That's where my my head is. Um, so. Gracias.